If you've struggled with stress, balance, or burnout, and simply felt discouraged or even defeated, if you're ready to move from force to flow and enjoy ultimate Zen success in your career, health, or relationships, then this podcast is for you. Your host, Carissa Sims, is an entrepreneur, corporate consultant, best-selling author, meditation teacher, and healer who has found her own Zen success. Here's your host, Carissa. Welcome to this week's episode of Zen Success. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Chef Dr. Mike. So let me tell you a little bit about him. He is a pirate and (laughs) just teasing you. He showed this picture of a pirate and I was like, oh my gosh, that's you. That's amazing. So as America's only board certified interventional cardiologist, professor of culinary medicine and professional chef, chef Dr. Mike combines culinary talents with his cutting edge medical expertise and evidence-based insights. I'm really interested in learning that. This unique perspective forges on approach to food and health that is beyond mere nutrition and more substantive than simple food plans or fad diets. He is the author of multiple books, including his latest, Bite Me, Life Lessons from Culinary Medicine. Welcome, Chef Dr. Mike. Thanks, Chris. It's so good to be here. (laughs) The crowd goes wild. Woo! Oh my gosh, you have so much wisdom to share with our audience and joy. I have to say your smile and your laugh is contagious. And I've watched some of your videos and you you have, do you have a TV show as well? Yeah, uh, actually, um, right before we got on air, I was just reviewing the final cut uh, for our PBS show. Uh, that's going to be be launched. So um, we we had it. Then it has to go back and like meet, you know, closed captioning, get those kind of little things tucked in. But it should air uh, next month. And and anyone who has PBS Passport will be able to tune into PBS Montana and watch it. Oh my God! Congratulations! Thank you. Thank you. That is amazing. And you're so passionate. I was like, wow, if he doesn't have a TV show, he must be getting one soon. And there you go. One month away. And what is the name of your TV show? House Calls with Chef Dr. Mike. Oh, and how do we sign up to get a house call? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess, you know, that's actually one of the things that we're thinking of doing. So this is so good. And um what they'd actually like us to do is to do an, a, an ongoing series for them. And the idea is actually to go do house calls for people. I mean, you know, you think of this, this is, it's kind of ridiculous, right? There's shows about uh, flipping houses and Gordon Ramsay goes and, you know, rebuilds restaurants that are failing. You know, I think it'd be very inspiring and incredibly practical for people to watch. Let's fix people. Uh, you know, yeah. um, we can do and that. And we can do with food. Yeah. Yeah. The way they, uh, that, yeah, that's amazing. So I want to, I have so many questions to ask you because based on all of your books, it's just, wow. I, I just, so, so where I want to start is exploring the question. Do you, you feel, do you feel that food can heal? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and, 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 
and it cuts both ways, right? So we often think, uh, or maybe we don't think, which is the problem about food kind of affecting us potentially negative in all the ways that, that we can and do eat and consume food. And certainly the converse of that is, is that um, if we change what we're doing, then we can get on a healing track. And I think it's important at the outset that we're not just talking about nutrients. And that's one of the big differences between what I do and teach in culinary medicine and the study of nutrition. And, and I'm not denigrating the study of nutrition. It's important, but it's very narrowly focused. And it's looking at nutrients and within the context of physiology and biochemical processes. And yes, that's valuable information. But there's so much more that goes on when we eat and we interact with each other. Um, and you talk about, you know, food being healing. Certainly you can have a, a healing meal, but you think about, you know, eating that exact same meal in a setting of intense stress under duress. Uh, and, and certainly it's not going to have the same healing characteristics. Um, you, the long and short of it, we process food and our food experiences in the same apartment building in this cranium as we process sex. And we all know that that's pretty complicated as well, right? It's not just a biological imperative to reproduce. There's all these emotions and things that are tied in there. And that's how we process food. And when we see it in that light, which by the way, the joy of sex, everybody thinks uh, was written first, but it was actually the joy of cooking. And they titled the book Joy of Sex after the joy of cooking because oh, it was so popular. So it's the other way around, but it, they all go back to, to joy. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because people sometimes don't think about joy. They just think, oh, I have to eat or they're rushing around. And so, so you believe that energy is as important as what you eat? Like, for example, could you eat like a Big Mac and French fries and be stressed and hurried? Or if you like savor it, enjoy it, could there be an effect on your body, on your digestion, if you're taking that unhealthy food in a healthy way? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's very interesting. A friend of mine who is a pediatrician in California, uh, excuse me, family practice doctor, so she treats kids as well uh, in California, actually wrote a book on that. And what she noticed was that a lot of her clients who are obsessed with health and exercise and eating this, and they're just obsessed with it in a, in a non-productive way are the ones who are coming in with issues. And she says, you know, the patients I see once a year who are going through the drive-through, they're doing okay. <laughs> and, and, and she's so, like, what's going on here? No, exactly. And, and so, yeah. you know, what I would say is that, you know, when there is a critical importance to what we put on the plate, but it's all connected, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, that's one of the things we talk about in culinary medicine are, are these interconnections. And so, you know, it's not just about eating plants, but it's how is that plant produced, you know, uh, in relationship to the sustainability in the earth, you know, mm -hmm. kind of what comes with it. So in our best possible world, we want to get those ingredients that nourish and nurture our body, um, consume them in a positive way. And I think that really leads us to not only health, which might be the absence of physical disease, but to a, a great aspire to something greater, which would be wellness, right? Mm -hmm. So happiness, wellness, longevity, et cetera. 
I think the middle ground is kind of what you're talking about. And, and, you know, I understand people don't live in monasteries. It's a crazy world we live in. It's stressful. It's 24 seven. It's 365. Um, you and I were chatting about, you know, me up at 4 a.m. my time to do a, a conference um, lecture over in Jordan. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be 100 percent of the time. But there's a big difference between, you know, having an ice cream Sunday treat once a month and eating one every single night. And so that's what we need to to get to. And then obviously there's the worst of all worlds where we're eating junk and we're stressed mm. and we're not enjoying, you know, any of that food experience. Um, and I think, you know, that's where you can really see some of those profound effects. I certainly see it, you know, when I have 30 somethings coming in with heart attacks. I mean, I can even tell you the story. One of the things that set me on the path of culinary medicine was doing a intervention for a heart attack, a blockage in a 24 year old. Wow. And, and, and she, she's just a wonderful person. No family history, uh, didn't do drugs, didn't smoke, uh, had pre-diabetes, ate garbage. And, mm. you know, she, you know, this was an, this was in an area in the Northwest uh, portion of the United States you know, it was a hip food town. I mean, I like working there because it's like, this is a foodie heaven. Mm. And, you know, I talked to her the next morning and she was like, you know, she was in tears. She's like, I don't know. You know, everybody seems to tell you one thing, then it's another thing. She said, so I do what's easy and cheap. And that's like, you know, bags of chips and at the drive through. And as we were talking in this, and I spent like 45 minutes in a room talking with her on a Saturday morning. Uh, and in walks what the hospital is bringing her for lunch and it's, you know, deli meat, American food, cheese-like stuff on white bread, condiments and squeegee tubes. There really was, I had not a word of a lie, there was that horrible green jello was actually on her plate. I, <laughs> I kid you not, I could not believe it's it. It's not a myth. It's, it's not, not a, a myth. It lives. It <laughs> lives. <laughs> Did you take a picture of it or video? <laughs> I, you know, I really should have. Um, I was just so beside yeah, myself because so, I was so like. so awful for you. Yeah. Like you, you, go, you think you go to a hospital to heal and to thrive. And then it's almost like they're putting you back in the hospital by giving you this crap. Well, absolutely. What's a message we sent to this young lady is, I mean, yeah. what she's going to remember is that the day after a heart attack in her 20s, this is what the, the hospital gave her. So this must be okay to eat because the hospital gave it to me. And, you know, we often do things um, that have a bigger impact in terms of our actions than our words. So she may or may not remember what a dietitian said. She may or may not remember what I said, but she'll remember the food they brought her. Oh, yeah, big time. And how it tasted and what she did after. Absolutely. So just for our audience, what is culinary medicine? Because you are the first person that has introduced me to this and, and I'm so fascinated by it. Well, well thank you. And, and you know, at the university, um, we have to have a class, we have to meet things. So we, we got this long, fancy schmancy, 75 cent, you know, definition. The long and the short of, about, of it, to keep it really simple, it's, it's about your relationship with your food in all those aspects um you know that go beyond as we talk about just what we put on our plate it's about how we eat when we eat, with whom we eat, why we eat, where we eat, you know, all these things that surround 
that experience that we have in food, as you and I were just talking, sort of our attitude, our mindfulness, um, being aware of where it comes from, and, and making sure that we address certain areas. One of the, the critical areas we address is what we like, one of our pillars is sustainability. And sustainable for you so that you're eating the food that you like, uh, because that keeps you happy. It keeps you on that path, uh, but sustainable um, that it's produced in a way that's positive for the planet, that it's healing and not destructive um, to get to our plates, uh, as it were. Um, and then also with respect to what we might call cultural food sustainability, because with the modern ultra processed foods, there's become such homogenization that we're losing these traditional food cultures and they're being replaced, particularly as younger people now, you know, don't eat the foods of the, the ancestors of their tribes, of their locales and regions. And everybody's going through the same drive through that replaces uh, that part of culture and, and food culture is is one of the big identifiers uh, in terms of who we are as human beings. So, you know, I live in Montana, um, uh, which is a wonderful place. Mm -hmm. uh, I live close to you, by the way, Colorado. <laughs> Oh, there you go. And, 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 you know, and, but part of our history in terms of like the Native Americans is not so great. And if you go yeah. back and you look, uh, for example, we often see the pictures in the late 1800s of the bison piled high and the hunters coming through and just shooting yeah. them, you know, through the, the uh, train cars. And people think that people did that for sport to sell it, et cetera. What they don't realize is that the government, our government at that time actually paid people to do that. That was a government program. And the reason behind it was to remove the bison as a food source from the American natives uh, because it was such an important part of not just their food, but their culture. So, you yeah, know, in the, in the manual, I know that that yeah. is awful. Well, in the manual to acculturate somebody or to get rid of their culture, there's sort of three things you do. You take away their religion. Um, in, in the case here, they made the Native Americans go to church. You take away their native language, uh, which again, everybody had to speak English. And then most people don't appreciate, you take away their food. You take away the foods that identify, that they can identify with, that give them an identity. And so those three things, including that food aspect, is very powerful uh, and kind of goes to the roots of, of how deep, you know, our connection to food and the human experience really is. And, and that's what we're about, you know, in cultural med, uh, med, culinary medicine is looking at, at all these things, all these soft edges, as well as, you know, things like nutrition and understanding that, um, that it starts with what we put on our plate. Um, but not often not in the way people think. Again, so much focus on saturated fat or sugar or this or that, when in turn, what's really coming to light, and I wrote about it about a decade ago in Cal uh, Fallacy of the Calorie, it's the ultra processing in the food. Um, it's neither the sugar nor the fat nor the salt, all of which are added to ultra processed foods. It's the very fact that we destroy the natural matrix in our food. That's how we put it back together to make ultra processed food. Turns out that that's not such a good idea. Nature uh, knows what she's doing. Mm. 
Yeah. So I, a couple of things that really um, hit a nerve with me is, is like this whole thing with like taking away their food for the Native Americans and um, the bison. I, I'm also thinking that and what you're saying now is people are forgetting about the culture of like passing down what they eat. Mm -hmm. So some of that is like, if you're eating off the land and from where you came from the meat and the, and the vegetables and everything that can be healing as well, more than things from other places too. Do you think that's right? I, I think so. And I, I think you can experience it. And the grand analogy I give is it goes with wine. And we often talk about, you know, the Pinot Noir in Burgundy is the same grape variety that they're growing in Oregon, uh, but they taste completely different. And mm -hmm. they're reflective of where they come from, what we call that terroir, which is all the subtle things, right? It's the chalky soil, it's the amount of rain, it's the wind coming in off the ocean, all these different things that go to give those grapes a unique flavor that is then in the hands of a master winemaker, accentuated and brought forth and cultured. We forget real food is the same thing, you know? Um, it has a taste from where it comes from, but it doesn't when we take it apart and we put it back together and we homogenize it. And that's what we do with ultra processed food because one of the things that really drives the American consumer, at least to date, is convenience. And, and convenient food demands reproducible food. So it's the same every time you get it. And, you know, that's great. And, and I, I think it's a totally appropriate approach when you're landing, you know, a 747. Um, when I'm doing a cardiac catheterization, I do it the same way every time. It's not like, hey, today I'm gonna experiment with a completely new way to do this tested and true procedure. You know, you want your physician to do the operation the way it's been done and it's been successful many, many times. The question is, 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 does that apply to our food? And, and I would answer that no. And, and I often think, you know, to, to get, put my pirate, you know, try corn on, uh, one of the great quotes from the late uh, Anthony Bourdain was, you know, great food, and I would say a great food experience always has a little risk to it, right? Mm. Um, and, and that's what, that's what makes it a, that's what makes it great. That's what makes it sort of worth doing, um, life worth living, as, as you might say. Wow. So I I'm getting the idea that your philosophy is to eat less processed foods or even eliminate them if possible. Is that what you're implying? The, the first thing we do in our culinary medicine approach is exactly what you said, right? So we want to look at someone's diet and get rid of those ultra processed foods. Great example. You know, people, I've had people come to me and they said, well, you know, what do you think of these plant-based meat alternatives? And I think that is about the worst thing you can put in your body. There are proteins in that that humans have never ingested before. So it is the uber of the ultra processed foods. And, and I could quote studies, I don't wanna get in the weeds. If anybody wants to know, they can email me. But a number of studies published in the last six months actually show no difference in health outcomes in terms of cardiovascular risk or early mortality whether you ate a plant-based diet or you ate an animal-based diet, what really mattered was how much ultra-processed food you ate. That was what would determine the risk. Wow. And they have research on this. Yeah. So uh, there's a study done out of Johns Hopkins where they looked uh, at uh, several hundred, I think it's several thousand folks 
um, and in, in the city of Baltimore, and they found that people eating a plant-based diet had exactly the same risk as people eating an animal-based diet because they all eat ultra-processed garbage. The big study that was published just a few months ago was the Aventus Health Study 2, which was done in California, over 75,000 people, and the results are exactly what I told you. And they look at a real simple outcome. You either count the bodies or you don't, right? It's early mortality. The only thing that came out in risk was the more ultra-processed food you eat, the, the higher your risk of early mortality. Turns out you're a higher risk of obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, uh, GI diseases, Alzheimer's, other neurodegenerative conditions. I can go on and on and on. It really correlates to the ultra-processing. And to cut to the chase where people say, well, you know, I still think it's the fat. I still think it's the sugar. Uh, you know, Harvard uh, just got... Uh, you know, I had this idea 10 years ago, but Harvard got 60 million uh, just a few months ago for a study that wow. we complete in 2024. But I tell the story because uh, it involves, um, and I really respect him for doing this, a professor of nutrition, Kevin Hall. And he actually set out about two years ago because he, you know, was one of the, the people out there that where I would write these things and he'd say, you're full of garbage. Right. It's it's about the nutrients. It's not about the processing. It's about the nutrients. That's what matters. So he did a trial where he basically locked people in a room at the NIH and uh, for like two weeks, you ate ultra processed foods at Chef Boyardee and Honey Nut Cheerios. And then you went off and then you ate un, uh, a diet that didn't have ultra processed food in it. And it, one of the things he did, which was really, really key is it was totally matched, so they had exactly the same amount of calories, but even then they matched the macronutrients. So it was the same amount of sugar, same amount of saturated fat, etc. The only difference was it was either ultra processed or not. And people who ate the ultra processed food gained weight, had increased inflammation, and people who didn't spontaneously lost weight and became healthier. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. So I'm going to be play a little bit naive here, but say you have uh, potato chips and they say all natural and they say potatoes and salt and you make your own potato chips and put salt on them. So do you say that that would be better to make yeah, your own? Right. Because a lot of, um, Snack foods like that, uh, for example, they, they undergo industrial processes that you can't replicate at home. Right. So it may be uh, sort of pre-processing type things. Uh, it can be extrusion. It can be molding. A great example for uh, that I'll give you uh, is bread, right? So the okay. bread that you buy in the supermarket, that uh, is full of additives. Yeah. It is full of sugar. Um, but the process, uh, they ferment that in under an hour, right? So I, I made my pizza, my homemade pizza the other day. Okay. Uh, it, it fermented for three days. And so that completely wow. changes what we call the food matrix. So you can think about nutrients as things that come, that you order for Amazon, right? And it's coming into your house as your body and, and you know, Amazon's delivering these nutrients. But, but Amazon doesn't just jump the nutrients on, well, depending on the UPS delivery person, they may just wind up broken <laughs> on the doorstep. Uh, but they're supposed to come in a little box, right? And they're all packaged a little differently. Well, think of that packaging as the matrix, because that's how food gets to us. 
Uh, and, and the way that it's packaged makes all the difference in the delivery. Oh, wow. I, I totally get it now because there's part of me that, that felt like, oh, it's all natural and everything. And I, I'm definitely buying you on the fake meat because oh. <laughs> there's something in me that feels like kind of weird when, when I eat it, but I dismissed it, you know, I just kind of like let it go. So I get it. It's because it's processed and, yeah, and, and it's not really want it. And it's not even, it goes beyond processing. So when I make my pizza, um, okay, so my, my crust is flour, yeast, salt, water that I let do a long ferment. Um, you know, my topping is just tomatoes and salt and then some cheese, but I put it all together and I cook it. So technically that food is processed. But when we say, <laughs> yeah. we say ultra processed, we have a very specific definition. Oh, I see. So, so we're talking about something where that matrix has been destroyed or degraded. We're talking that there's been certain types of additives in there that we don't use as human beings in our home kitchen, or even as a chef in my professional kitchen. So these are things like certain types of preservatives, additives, uh, flavor enhancers, emulsifiers. Um, a common example, again, I haven't bought uh, or eaten star-bought mayonnaise for o over maybe two decades. And I make my own, uh, which from an egg yolk, oil, a little arm energy to, to whisk it, and then whatever flavorings I want to put in it. But the commercial mayonnaises have a particular emulsifier in them, something like polysorbate 80. Well, that's been shown to negatively change the bacteria in our gut. No into, way. Yes, in a way it that causes really bad, but it I is. <laughs> yeah, and so and there's there's lots of things like this, and in fact, one of the other ones they add that's been shown the same thing is something called uh, carboxymethylcellulose and uh, CMC. And what that, believe it or not, it's it's actually um, I think it's made from like leftover bits of when they manufacture cottonseed oil, and uh, long and short of it is when they add it. They can actually then put on the package that they're adding fiber, but it turns out as a pro ultra processed product that it impacts your gut bacteria in a negative way. So it's it's not just about what we eat, but it's also about how it's made, mm -hmm. and it turns out and or how it's produced, and it turns out that's critical. Um, as we know, you know, getting that tomato out of your garden or at the farmer's market that's grown locally and ripen is way different than that supermarket tomato in January. Yeah. You know, and, and But they're both tomatoes, but they're not the same thing. It's all about how it's produced. And we can even go back to that wine analogy, right? So the bottle of Thunderbird or the $500 bottle of French Burgundy, they may have the same grapes in it, but you know, it's, it's all about how it's done. Mm. Yeah, that that's amazing. So you recommend people make their own bread, like even if it's all natural, doesn't have the preservatives, like, or you could buy it from a bakery that bakes it fresh because I mean, fresh bread, I think would go bad, right? If it has no preservatives, like in a day or so. Uh, no, actually, not really. All depends, again, how you store it. So I'll make my my loaf. And um, actually, most people don't realize that if you put it in a brown paper bag that, and just fold it, that's the best thing. And that will actually keep it fresh. Don't put it in the fridge. Don't leave it uncovered. Uh, don't wrap it up too tight where there's no, there's no breathing. Oh, out. yeah. I didn't know that. I always like wrap it up in plastic. 
Yeah, and then that keeps the moisture on it, so it, it tends to promote mold uh, growth really quick. So something like a, a, a paper bag is actually really that's, and they make some reusable uh, cloth bags because they breathe. Uh, so it, it allows it to breathe, but but keeps it from spoiling. And, and certainly there are, and we have some folks nearby that are incredible bakers. So they're getting organic uh, wheat. They're milling it in their bakery and they're using the same kind of ingredients that I have. I have no problem with that, but certainly yeah. when I, when I travel and I don't know, you know, where I am or where it's come from, yeah. I just don't even eat bread because it really does bother me when I'm at wow. home, I eat bread every day and it doesn't bother me at all. And, and it's the same story. One of the things that, that got me interested in this some decades ago was I was talking to a colleague, uh, another physician, and she, and we were talking, I think I, I made her some, some corn tortillas. We were having tacos and, um, you know, she's like, oh, well, you know, I got to stay away from gluten. And I was like, oh, okay, well, corn won't have any, this won't have anything in it. And she said, well, you know, that's really f funny that you talk about that. And, and you kind of mentioned it, maybe what I'm eating here, she said, because the other summer I went to Italy. And she said, now I've had gluten issues in this country for years. She said, but there was no way I was not going to have one bowl of pasta in Italy. And yeah, she said, yeah. so I ate the pasta and I got myself prepared for GI distress. Yeah. Nothing happened. It didn't happen. And then she had another bowl of pasta. And she said, I ate pasta every day with the breads in Italy for a month. And I came home and I thought, holy cow, I hadn't eaten gluten for a long time. So now I'm cured. She said, so I went and bought uh, uh, some pasta from the supermarket, ate it, and promptly got sick. And oh my again, God. <laughs> so, so if you, so you want to buy extruded pasta, for example, I go to the market, I find where it comes from Italy. So it has that little label saying made in Italy. And look under the ingredients. You'll see oh something. It'll either say semolina durum, durum wheat or maybe just durum wheat. Yeah. This is actually a type of wheat that's that we would call an ancient grain. Um, so it's a progenitor to, to modern bread wheat. And then I'll have like water, flour, salt, maybe egg, maybe not. And that's it. Then you turn over the box that comes from this country and I pull out my inorganic chemistry textbook from my college days <laughs> to read, you know, what that thing is. And there's like, you know, and it's like, you know, it, it's a short discourse longer than a Gettysburg address on the back of that that box. And, and you're like thinking, why? Why? Um, and, and so that, again, is, is really the difference. Oh, my God. You're like going to you're like gonna save my life, my kids. Wow. So we don't necessarily have to buy our own pasta. Just look for those origins in Italy because they believe in the same thing that you do. Like well, and they purity actually, of ingredients. Oh, that's a that's a great word. You took it right out of my mouth. Oh, because actually the Italians had what was, and I think it still applies to exports. What's called the pasta purity law, uh, which I think was passed in the fifties or sixties, where they said, "Hey, this is what Italian pasta is traditionally made from, and you cannot call it Italian pasta if it's not made with just these ingredients." So there very fussy about their food. Uh, they have one of the lowest levels of ultra processed food consumption as part of their diet in all of Europe. And they're amongst the most healthful people. Um, you know, one of the things I was talking about this morning was the French paradox. So 
even today, and everybody wants to think it's the wine, which I don't really have a problem with because it probably is definitely some benefit benefit to wine. Yeah, but the, but the, French what is parad- the French paradox. Yeah, just for so our- so this was a, a study that was done in the eighties and published in the early nineties. And remember, you know, and many doctors and physicians still say, don't eat saturated fat. Um, you know, you can't have butter, you can't have cheese, you can't have a steak, no cream sauces, you know, watch the alcohol. Oh you know, no. And, and, and said all those things. And at that time, the death rate, and they only looked at middle-aged males in that study at that time. So that's all we can comment on. Uh, but the, the death rate in the US in that group was about 317 per 100,000 population. So you looked at the French at that time, and uh, they're eating French food, which is cream sauces. Uh, I was trained in a traditional, so you know, French, right? And it's oh it's more God. butter than anyone. Yeah, it's exactly. ten times the wine we're drinking here. Lots uh, of bread. Lots of bread. Yeah, you know, all these things. Yeah. And their their event rate was uh, seventy eight per hundred thousand. No, sorry, no, sorry, one hundred forty three per hundred thousand for France as a whole. But if you went to Southwest France, which is properly described as a paradise of duck fat and goose sausages and foie gras uh, and very little olive oil and wine, that was the healthiest area of France. Their event rate uh, was 78 per 100,000 or 25% of that seen in the United States at the time eating something like foie gras which essentially is the poster child for everything you should never eat if you you know don't want to have a heart attack within the next 48 hours as they were telling us and nobody could really figure out uh what was going on there and there was a lot of thought that came out of that that well the french drink so much more wine and that's where that whole uh bit of data and research that was done on red wine comes from so people started looking into that and there probably is a health benefit there right but if we look today we find that Americans have closed the gap on the French in terms of drinking wine. So we're in the uh, early 90s, it was 10 times as much. It's about 3.8 times as much now. So they still have a little little bit more, but not near as much. But the event rate in, in France is 77 per 100,000 today, and it's 217,000, 217 per 100,000 in the U.S. So there's this huge discrepancy. But when we look at ultra processed food consumption, the French only eat about 30% ultra processed food in their diet. The average American is about 70%. And, wow. and, and, and one of the, the things that you touched on where you talked about your kids and where we really have a problem as a country is, uh, and this was published um, last fall, is that from age five, five onwards, the average American's diet consists of almost 70% ultra processed food. So you have the kids in their, their teens and early twenties showing up, you know, in, in my cath lab at 2am with heart attacks in their thirties and early forties. Wow. And, and there wasn't really as much processed food in the past. So that's why you're seeing it in younger problems with younger kids. I mean, adults now. Right. This all came about, uh, started coming about in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. And then they adopted the first food guidelines in the 70s. And what what really happened is we, we got fixated on this saturated fat, cholesterol, heart disease idea that it was all the saturated fat. 
And so the, at that point, the U.S. government actually went to industrial, uh, you know, agribusiness and said, hey, um, we need you guys to, you know, come up with some low fat alternatives and get people, you know, to eat low fat. At the point that that was introduced with these dietary guidelines, you start to see the curve of obesity and type 2 diabetes inflect up in the United States. Wow. 100% correlation. Wow. And, and it was all this sort of low fat hypothesis where we really push people to eat all I these remember that. Remember snack wells? Yeah, I remember <laughs> all of that. But, but then also now there's this push for keto, which is high fat, moderate protein, you know? So that's, I mean, yeah, you're right. That whole like low saturated fat was crazy, but, but now it's kind of swinging another direction. Don't you think? You know, uh, and one of my good friends is, is Sean Wells, and he's one of the, the world's experts on the ketogenic diet. Okay. And, and, and Sean and I have had a lot of discussions about this because basically we both feel the same way. Uh, the ketogenic diet in particular, uh, there is evidence it can be useful in, in some, actually some specific types of cases and uh, certain things. As, as he has said to me, what's really tough is it's hard for people to maintain that as a lifestyle. Yeah. And in culinary medicine, that's really what we're after. Right. But when so you as look a way what, to like kickstart or something. Yeah. 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 And if okay. you need to lose weight, all those things are great. But, you know, eventually, as we said, we want something that's going to be sustainable and bring you joy when you sit down and have that piece of bread, right? Have that pizza night. Yeah. And um, when you look at things like the ketogenic diet, uh, the paleo diet, many of these other diets that people are doing, what is it really doing? Well, they're saying avoid the refined carbohydrates and certain things that the long and short of it is what they're doing is they're pushing you away from eating so much ultra processed food. That's a good point. you're not eating the, 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 the baked goods and the snack yeah. and those sorts of things. And, and that's so a good thing. Yeah, it, it is. Um, so whatever, you know, path gets you to the top of that mountain, whatever works for you. And that's why people say, well, you know, what's the diet on culinary medicine? And and there isn't one like if we would do it and I'd say, Chris, what's your favorite food? If, if you're going to have something for dinner tonight, you could have anything. No, no downside, no judging, no nothing. What would you have to eat? Um, probably tacos and guacamole. OK, guacamole so that's. Yeah, and, and that, that's a great example because I love tacos too. And, <laughs> and it, tacos are amongst the healthiest foods you can eat, right? You, wow. you make that tortilla you uh, from scratch. And what are you putting on? Well, if you source these ingredients, the salsas, the guacamole, these are vegetables. Uh, and, and really the salsa and the guacamole and things like that is how people eat a lot of vegetables um, in yeah. areas where tacos are indigenous. You can get fresh fish. You can get fresh pork. Um, et cetera. Now compare, you know, this handcrafted delicious taco that is totally full of things that are good for you and bringing that smile to your face. Cause I can see you thinking about it. Oh my God. And I'm then, drooling. And, and yeah. now think about, now think about, you know, the drive-through taco, right? It's horrible. Um, yeah. you know, that, that, it, it it, yeah. And so, and that salsa type seasoning thing you're squeezing out of the packet, they're two different foods. They're not the same food. And quite literally, the one that you and I want to have dinner with is a group three food. Uh, when we talk about ultra processing and we use that Nova classification, everything that's kind of wholesome is what we call groups one through three or Nova class one through three. Group four is that ultra processed food that's separate and different. 
So the, the taco that we're talking about making and eating is group three. What you get through the drive-through is group four. And culinary medicine, one of our big goals is to just get people to turn their head and look at food differently and not see a taco, but see deliciousness, yumminess, good for me, ultra processed junk, better avoid that, and not see saturated fat, tacos, et cetera. Cause that's the way we have to think now. Um, and, and this perspective shift, it's just a quantum shift in reality, right? You know, everybody says, oh, you know, Sir Isaac Newton discovered gravity. Well, no, gravity's always been here. He just observed it. Uh, and then he, he explained it. it. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but gravity's always been here, right? It wasn't like Newton yeah. invented gravity. No, he didn't. Yeah, um, but he yeah. observed it because he thought about things a little differently. And he asked mm -hmm. why. And then, as you said, then he was able to explain it. And when we look at some of these paradoxes, like the French paradox, which turns out to be the Italian paradox, which turns out to be the Spanish paradox, um, you know, the Inuit paradox, uh, you know, when we look at these things differently, we find out, wow, we can really explain this when we look at it in terms of ultra processed food or not. And so that's, that's our entry point, you know, into culinary medicine. And that's, that's kind of where we start and, and we build from there. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I want to ask you all these questions. And so this is like going back a little bit because I just want to ask questions for my own life. Do you believe in bread makers or do you, is that to process like buying a bread maker for home? Oh, um, I think if you can use the ingredients, you know, um, I don't know that much about it because I, I do my own. Yeah. Um, and, so you and like it's really, put it in, you put all the ingredients in and then you it pops out bread later. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, you know, I think if you get the right ingredients and it doesn't require like special things to be in the in the dough recipe, I, I think mm -hmm. that's fine. I mean, I'm a big believer in doing things as easily as possible. Yeah. So when I make my bread, um, now when I started making bread, I did it all by hand so I could feel the dough, et cetera. You know, now I pop it in my stand mixer and when it, and when I, when it gets to there, I can test it and say, yeah, it's ready to go. You know, I'm going to shape it and leave it. I use a food processor. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying we should go back to the stone age. So I think any things like that, that we can leverage where we can then craft, you know, better food from better ingredients for ourselves. That's what living in this modern time is all about. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. That's, that's good. All right. I know we're running out of time here. Um, but I did want to give you a chance to talk about your latest book, bite me oh. so that, you know, lessons from culinary medicine, what inspired you to write it? Uh, just what we were talking about. <laughs> Everything that we just Everything. talked about. Okay. Perfect. And, and, and sort of my own, you know, personal experiences. So we're still working with the publisher on that. It's not quite out yet. Um, so folks can follow me on social media. Stay tuned for that. Uh, we got derailed a little bit by getting a TV show out. So we're excited about that. Wow. That's just going to bring more and more. Yeah. Success to you. It's going to be amazing. Well, we, we certainly hope so. And, and again, um, if folks will follow us on PBS, as soon as we get those dates, we'll let it, you know. And if you have a PBS subscription at home, uh, it's usually the PBS passport. So you'll be able to, to tune in and um, get that. And, and hey, if you're listening and you want to see it on your PBS station, you know, get, get on there, send them an email, say, hey, I want house calls with Chef Dr. Mike from Montana PBS, you know, Julia Child did it, you know, decades ago, we can do it again. Yay. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. What 
this is a last question. What is Zen success to you? Zen success. Um, to me, um, I, I would say this is, it, it may, this may sound sort of a little, uh, a little out there a little bit. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, that Zen success comes when you create a harmonious win-win because it, it's all about the feelings. Zen people, I think, often measure success up here, but Zen success comes from here. Mm. For people who aren't watching, I'm, I was pointing to my head and that my heart. And so, you know, when I can take the time and craft a meal with ingredients where I knew where they come came from, and they were produced in a way like regenerative agriculture that's actually healing the earth. And and I feel like I've done my best uh, to, to honor that. And I put myself into that food um, and then share it with, with someone. Um, and it brings them joy and brings us joy. And, and we create a very positive, um, event. Uh, and, and it's little, you know, it's, it's, it's not a stadium full of 60,000 people, um, you know, sending some message to the world or selling this or that. It's a tiny little thing. Uh, but if a couple billion people did that once or twice a week, um, you know, I, I, I do believe that, you know, that that's how we, we change this planet for the better. Mm, amazing. That's such a great definition. It's been such a pleasure connecting oh, thank with you, you <laughs> and uh, helping our audience and me learn about food as medicine and giving us some great tips, especially the pasta. Oh <laughs> I'll put your website and how to buy your books in the show notes. So any thank last you. words, Dr. Mike? Um, no, just thank you. Right. You know, people say, you know, what's the one ingredient that I have to cook with? They always have or every meal. And I tell people it's about an ounce of gratitude. So always put that, you know, in your cooking and serve it at mealtime uh, makes a great side dish. So, uh, yeah. So thank you uh, for having me. Thank you for giving me a, a chance to uh, share. And and, you know, um, it's been a long day and I was so tired. And now that I'm leaving you, I feel like I could go like run 10 miles. So thanks. Oh. Thank you so much. I warm my heart. Oh, okay. Well, have a great day and, and uh, a good run. Okay. Bye. You too. You Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Zen Success. I would love to get your feedback at zensuccesspodcast.com on what topics you'd be most interested in and what Zen Success is to you. Thanks for listening.